Live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Brigadier, the podcast where I, Jacob Reich, have no idea what we're doing today, but my friend Cato Friday here does. So ask him what we're doing. Ah, uh, yes. What are we doing? We are doing a very important discussy thing. Oh, so no gameplay yet? Uh, no, no, not oh. yet. Probably no gameplay this episode also probably no gameplay up till next week because there's no chance that jacob can be here past tomorrow yeah this this week is incredibly crazy for me yeah so we scheduled this thing because remember how i gave the characters a tank i got thinking and i've made these flow charts as to what can happen. As to what can happen. So, Jacob, do you wanna do you wanna walk through this flowchart with me? Well, do you have a place where I can look at them easier without having to look? No, at I'll, them I'll give you the options. I'll give you the options. So it starts out with you guys getting the tank, and the three options are: Republicans realize that the radio is more important than the tank. The Republicans end up using the tank as a tank, or the tank just gets destroyed. Uh. Probably not likely that the tank's going to be destroyed because German the tank saboteurs. Is pretty useful, huh? German saboteurs. Uh, well, they might not realize. They might not think that just one tank is really that important. I mean, it's just one tank. What are they going to do with one tank? If the Germans realize the significance of a radio falling into enemy hands, yes, they would. True. Hmm. Perhaps you could have an event where we have to stop saboteurs or something like that. Well, yeah, I know. But, like, literally, here's the thing, right? Because this can go one of two ways, the way I see it. We can either, A, go whole hog into alt history. Or, B, we can get a little bit of fun gameplay out of a tank, but then it becomes game-breaking. Because here's the thing. Once you guys have a tank... A Panzer One can't penetrate a Panzer One. Anti-tank mm. rifles are few and far between. So essentially what ends up happening if I give you guys a tank is nothing is actually a challenge in the game anymore. So the way I see it, we can either have this be game breaking or campaign defining, right? Because, you know, I can, if you want to go back to normal so- play, uh, yeah, so it's basically like if you want to go back to normal play, either A, the tank leads to us making some minor gains, or B, the tank just ends up getting destroyed. Yeah, so it's and basically normal play, it resumes. You get normal originally intended, or not fun, or complete alt history. Um, we don't have to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would, be, it would be rewriting world history, but here's the thing. I would make sure that we keep the tone of the podcast. Yeah. It's, it's chiefly a war story. You know, I was talking with Sam. We were both doing what I call causality diagrams, which is just a fancy term for flowcharts of the way things could lead to other things. And basically, um, uh, he, want, he was like, hey, 
do you think that if the Nazis lose in Spain, they'd go full cultus? And I was like, no. Because, <laughs> like, I had to explain to him, basically, Hitler wasn't, Hitler wasn't there for any of the cult shit. He, he was just a fascist. All of the people yeah. who were into the occult, weird Aryan mysticism stuff, that was other people, uh, not him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, he just confirmed. He just confirmed my ballpark. He said uh, 520 at the latest. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, so basically, you're not the one that I need to convince because you already said last night, you were like, yeah. All history is fine. Yeah. All history is fine. And you said, I think this could be a good direction to take the podcasts in. Yeah. And I mean, so it's not entirely unrealistic given what we've just done. Yeah, what you've just done is something provided that the right chain of events branches off from this. It could have happened. Yeah. But see, the whole thing about histories and multiverses and everything is the right chain of events has to happen. World history looks completely different if you change one little thing and people realize what that change means, right? Yeah, and of course, the further back that happens, the more things change. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, say, say for the sake of argument, uh, Britain cracks Enigma in 1939. (laughs) <laughs> like right at the start of the war they just somehow they, they collaborate with the poles and they crack enigma right away because uh the poles had basically all they'd broken the civilian versions of enigma the military versions were only slightly more complicated so if britain decided to build a computer to solve it enigma would fall apart in a couple seconds yeah it, once so... they had the, once they had the help of the poles uh enigma not a problem but like, just imagine, right? They crack Enigma in 1939. They know where all the German Thing subs are. Thing would have turned are. out different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They know where all the German subs are. They can do ASW really well and knock out what Germany's... Because really, the German Navy is not a surface Navy in World War II. It's got some cool surface ships, but it doesn't have the size that it needs to have to really be yeah. used as a surface Navy. Everything's everything's all in the U-boats, right? I mean, the Bismarck was impressive, but it was less of a functioning battleship than it was a symbol yeah you know that also the bismarck only had 12 inch guns right only 12 inch oh wow yeah uh m- most then battleships the by the time had 16 with... to 18 inch guns and then there's the iowa with 16 inch cannons and how far could that thing go so, uh 16 uh... inches has an effective range of i think three or four miles so that like they can shoot over the horizon. But I remember the Amato had 21 inch guns and those had an effective range of, uh, I don't know if the effective range was five miles, but I know that at five miles firing an armor piercing shell, they could punch through, what was it? It was like, it was like 10 feet of, it was, no, not 10 feet. It was like at five miles, they could still punch through like 20 inches of steel. Holy crap. If they're firing an AP armor piercing high explosive shell. So it's like. APHE yeah. doesn't really. Or, On a battleship, oh, it yeah. does. APHE. I was thinking of heat. Sorry. 
yeah, no, heat heat wouldn't heat heat wasn't used as an anti vessel or anti vehicle weapon. It was so primarily used it. as anti concrete mm. or anti bunker because yeah, as for example, like the German Panzer IV had some pretty good heat rounds. I think this best heat heat round could penetrate. 110 millimeters of rolled homogenous armor. But that heat round wasn't designed to kill tanks. It was designed to kill bunkers. Yeah. But you'd, you'd think that something like a heat round would be pretty darn effective against ships, because that's a pretty In World War II, the tech hadn't matured yet, and by the end of World War II, battleships were gone, because any missile uh... can punch through them. Yeah, that's the thing about modernization. Crap like that happens, and then all of a sudden something else comes in. Yeah, like and missiles. now, yeah, missiles, aircraft. But when you think about it, a battleship was only a good weapon up until we invented aircraft. Yeah. Oh, up until we invented aircraft and the arrestor wire and everything else needed for functional carriers to begin sailing the seas. Yeah, but that. That reminds me of this interesting game, which only recently was uh, actually put into like full release. No, we are not sponsored by them. Don't don't from go depths, claiming we from are. Depths, from the depths. Yes, from the depths. It was put into full yeah. release. Yeah, it's fully alpha? released now. It's an alpha. Uh, no, I think it's actually completely released. Like not even out in alpha anymore. Ooh. That's uh, good. That's good. But anyways, we're supposed to be talking about these flow charts. So anyways, here, here's what I uh, consider yeah. my ideal scenario for this alt history. Players get the tank. Republicans go, sure, we can use this tank, get a little bit of good out of it. But what we could do, let's use this radio strategically. Let's use it, kill some more Panzer 1s, capture them, and then have those radios reverse engineer. You know, we'll send some back to Albacete, send some over to Moscow, get them reverse engineered, start getting them mass produced so that we can listen in on German radio communications, right? A. Once they've done that, either A, the Germans could notice. If the Germans notice, it's basically all over. They'll come up with some way of just a new radio, different frequencies, something. And then the gains from that one specific event wouldn't be very large, but it would prove that capturing the radio and reverse engineering it is a very effective thing. So then, and there's only so many frequency bands you can use, right? Yeah. So eventually, <laughs> so there, are, there are a lot of different ways you can encrypt radio, though. Those didn't exist. Or, Voice encryption didn't exist back in World War II. You okay. couldn't encrypt a voice signal. Oh. It was too complicated. Oh. You could only you could encrypt wireless telegraphy, but nobody's going to be in a tank in the heat of a battle trying to decrypt Morse code to get their commander's orders. <laughs> yeah, but uh, oh, so it's basically like. Oh, you're using that frequency? Well, we'll steal yeah, your radio. We'll, oh, you're switching to another frequency? We'll steal your radio. Speak German to translate it for us. We know what the orders of the day are. Yeah. And then we can. And then the thing is, right? What does that lead to? 
Well, Panzer One's not an amazing tank. Literally, any old yeah. anti-tank rifle, and- even anti-tank rifles of World War One vintage, are able to penetrate it. So all you got, or even just a big grenade, a, a large grenade, throw it under the tank, boom, no more tank. Yeah, but the thing is, if we could manage to capture enough tanks, we could really just make the Germans mad. Yeah, and see, that's, that's what happens, right? And the Germans notice. And well, well, Germans don't notice initially. It leads to large gains. The Germans are like, well, now we've noticed. So they, instead of just backing the nationalists, they start straight up sending more of their military in. Not just the Condor then, Legion, like the general here starts moving into, like a, like a large division of the here starts moving into um, Spain. A large portion of the Luftwaffe is going to move up there. Maybe, maybe the Kriegsmarine even starts providing fire support along the coast. Like full German military support is what I'm envisioning after that. Yeah. Because they're like, and it starts to become less of a problem. They've kind of decrypted a... all of our radio transmissions now. <laughs> they can just listen. Or they've in. got access to all of our radio frequencies that we use. So yeah, and 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 any tank that we send out, they can counter. So not only does this increase the German presence, I also think the other thing it would do is it would jumpstart German tank design, which would mean that, well. Well, the Panzer II, uh, the Panzer II, t- by the middle of the Spanish Civil War, was in pre-production. What what year is this taking place in again? This is still 1936. Okay. So there are only two models of Panzer that are either in existence or about to exist. Because you have current, you have first off. Um, you have the Panzer I, no. which is still around, um, which is fully in production, you know, hundreds of them rolling off the production lines. I shouldn't say hundreds because they only literally ever made hundreds, but you know. And then you've got the very, very early pre-production models of Panzer II, which are going to come out in 1937. Now, those pre-production models only account for like 120 tanks. But if Germany starts seeing well, our tanks are going to be taken out by anti-tank rifles. We need something with thicker armor. And they're going to build the Panzer II. And then immediately they're going to turn around and go, we're still getting penned all the time. What do we do? And they go, start on the project for the Panzer III, right? And when they start building the project for the Panzer III, they'll go, well, we're only putting a 37 millimeter gun in this thing. We need something to take oh, out yeah, any infantry emplacements. And immediately that leads them oh, into designing the Panzer IV. We'll talk about it. So this would basically be early World War II. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they're, but they're not going to build the long barrel models yet. Yeah. They're only going to have the short ones, which basically pretty much entirely fired high explosive rounds. Mostly high explosive and was it APHE? They did have one APHE What's round, that? but they were only issued a couple of them because they weren't hmm. expected to fight enemy tanks. They were supposed to blow up bunkers and pillboxes okay. and stuff like that because the 75 millimeter high explosive round in the fire was a decent round. All right. It was only about half the size of what the infantry yeah, could fire from there. Truck. 
Well, yeah, because War Thunder's completely nerfed high explosive, and they really, if they're going to nerf high explosive like that, they got to get rid of some of the tank yeah. destroyers, which are designed to use high explosive. So that's beyond our podcast yeah. purview. So the Germans start building these tanks. Now, I think that the Panzer III and Panzer IV are going to be kept very, very secret with almost no, basically, no, all going to be kept chatter, secret. So no radio chatter about the Panzer III or Panzer IV. So it's basically going to be like, oh crap, what the hell is this? Yeah. And so then maybe it's, maybe it's like 1937, 1938, and the first few Panzer 3s show up at the front lines and everybody goes, oh, ah, shit. this uh, is an actual tank now. <laughs> this is a threat because. Uh, and also, the other thing that we could see is. Schertzen on the Panzer One. Schertzen. Schertzen on the Panzer One. Yeah, what was the uh, armor? Panzer this would technically armor. be Aus A, so that would be 15 millimeters of armor compared to the Panzer One's 7 to 13. Yeah. So actually, not that much more. The Panzer three. But see, here's the thing: they're gonna go more crew into well, much stronger. We're gun. getting penned all the time by anti-tank rifles. We need to up the armor. So they're not. They're, it's gonna be a Panzer three Ausführung A, but probably with the Ausführung Gay or Ausführung He, um, later models of armor thickness. So H or G. So mm -hmm. that's. 30 to 50. Yeah. So the Panzer III yeah. is going to come off um, is going to come off the production lines with a 37mm gun, but later versions of the armor. Yeah. And the Panzer IV is probably going to come off the lines looking more like the, the Ausführung F than the Ausführung A. Because the because the, the A model was a pre-production, and the F the F I was like the A basically didn't have enough armor, so the up they upped the armor pretty significantly. They upped it to fifty millimeters from the front. Huh. And then they upped it again somewhere along the road to the Ausfia Ha mm -hmm. to eighty millimeters. Wait, eighty. The H, according to Wikipedia, it says 3.1 inches on the Ausführung H. Does it say where? Which is 80 Is it millimeters. the upper front plate? Whole front. Whole front. Whole front, yeah, yeah, yeah. The up the, up the front of the hull. They didn't up the front of the actual, um, what do you call it? They didn't up the turret. The turret was the same. Uh... Yeah, the turret yeah, the was, turret front was the, 50 millimeters as the F1. But yeah, yeah. we're not going to see the long barrels initially because yeah. we're not going to see those until the Soviets get their act together and decide to design the A20. And no, no, not the A20, the T50. Because I think, I think we're going to get a really strange combination of the main tanks of this war. The main tank in one corner, we have the weird German Panzer III A slash H hybrid. Yeah, and in the other corner, 
we have the T50. The T50 was like a light tank, though, wasn't it? Yeah, and so was the Panzer III. Technically. Yeah, I mean, doctrinally, the Panzer, the late model Panzer III's would have been used as medium tanks. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, honestly, I think that we would see the T50 and then the, and then the lessons learned from the T50 would go into designing the, uh, what is it? It's the A20, which is the very early model of T34. Uh, that is actually some pretty decent armor on the T50, 12 to 37 millimeters. That's... Yeah, it's 37 millimeters frontally, but it's sloped at 45 degrees. So oh, that that's... doubles it roughly. <laughs> yeah, that is some. So it's it's got like seventy some millimeters of armor. It's it's yeah. actually a fighting machine, right? Yeah. Though it has a forty five and it has a forty five millimeter cannon. It has a forty five millimeter twenty k cannon, which is for what it's going to be fighting. The twenty k is perfectly adequate. But literally. They also already had the T28. And T28 versus Panzer III, T28 wins that every time. Provided that they're not engaging at really close ranges because the T28 also has abysmal armor, unless you get the T28E. Yeah. It'd be really easy for them to go, yeah, okay, but the, the Panzer III's are penetrating us all the time. And taking out a bunch of our T28s, yeah. just slap some armor plates on their high hardness rolled armor, is yeah. what they call that. Which basically, um, the, the, the RHA the, is relatively soft compared to high hardness rolled armor. Um, high hardness rolled armor, I think, is like one and a half times as hard as RHA. Okay, but, then. So, um, yeah, so you only need. Um, you only need a little, you need a little bit less of it. So like, it would be like 20 millimeters of high hardness is roughly equivalent to like roughly, very roughly 30. It all depends on what you consider to be high hardness. Uh, though, uh, if we're talking, imagine if the Soviets had created the American T-28 instead mm. of the... Mm -mm. That would just be absurd. They would not do that to respond to this threat. But yeah, I, know, I mean, but also imagine if they had like, just done it at all. Yeah, or we could see the the matchup of Panzer III versus like a higher end version of the BT series, which is basically what the T fifty is, anyways. Does it have Christie suspension? T fifty, I think, has. Well, it's somewhere between the Christie suspension and what they used on the T. Torsion bar. Yeah, torsion bar. Because, because the whole thing about the Christie is Christie is a torsion bar suspension. It's just that there's an extra spring on the end of the torsion bar. Hmm. Um, and the other thing that usually denotes Christie from torsion bar is that you can remove the tracks and run on road wheels. The, T, yeah. the T34 basically has a Christie. You just can't take off the tracks. Okay. And on the early models, it also had rubber road wheels. You just literally couldn't take off the tracks because you couldn't steer otherwise. Uh, 
So yeah. Yeah, that uh, is really the T28 already had the gun that would go into the T34. So honestly, when they got the T50, if Germany is like, okay, now we need something to kill the T50, they're going to initially start issuing APCR rounds and then eventually upgrade to the 50 millimeter. Yes. Yeah. In the Panzer III, switch over to um, Germany. Uh, sorry, the Soviet Union. Soviet Union is going to go. We have this. Uh, what is this? The something forty is what it's called. It's it's the very early version of the gun that would go in the T thirty four, and that gun is the main reason why most people consider well, a lot of people overrate the early T thirty fours because because the T thirty four started being around in nineteen forty in our world, like, and then there were prototypes from nineteen thirty nine. So by the time Barbarossa, there were T thirty fours up at the front. But they were all really bad T-34s. They had the worst gun that the T-34 ever had. Um, which is, it was just like abysmal. I think it had like 90 millimeters penetration at 10 meters. Like It's just not great. Yeah, that doesn't sound great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, for what we expect from the later models of T-34, but against, I mean, if they, if we wanted a tank that would go up and duke it out with Panzer threes, I can definitely see T-34 model of 1940 coming online. Maybe a T-34E. So yeah, there, there's a lot to be talked about with tanks, but the other thing is, let's just go into what I think the most most likely scenario would be. Is, um, World War II getting underway with only two alliances. Hmm. You would have common turn, which is basically just the Soviet Union and Mongolia. So we can basically just say the Soviet Union. Um, yeah. That, not that, if there's that, any Mongolians out there, we're just simplifying things. Mongolians obviously fought in World War II and they had the presence on the battlefield and they helped fight fascism, which is important. But anyways, so you've got common turn and then on the other side, you have the tripartite pact, which is Germany, Italy, Japan. Yeah. Yep. And so I, I, I once I got into these like big overarching scenarios, I just have like a list of questions to consider. Um, with Common Turn and the fascist tripartite pact, the two main factions, does a third faction of capitalist and unaligned nations form, including such countries as Poland, Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia at that point was still a capitalist monarchy. Okay. Czechoslovakia and Greece. How well do they coordinate? Does their advantage in weaponry translate into actual gains? Because see, the thing is, Czechoslovakia by 1935, so befo by before this war, they were already producing the VZ-35, better known as the Panzer 35T, which would eventually be developed in the Panzer 38T. Oh, yeah, because that is actually a pretty decent tank. For this time in the in world, Germany yeah. just kind of stole. Well, they bought a lot of 
those from Czechoslovakia. Well, they occupied Czechoslovakia. Oh, and then they forced them yeah. to produce the tank. Yeah. For them. Um, who do they focus on fighting? Do they mainly fight the Soviets or do they mainly fight the Germans? Or yeah, because both other of scenario, them would... hmm. Or other scenario, do they fight both? Oh, that would... Yeah, because both are likely to be well, yeah, because to well, them I mean, because unless the you, war basically stays confined to Spain for the early parts of the war, the Soviet Union has to go through Poland, and Poland probably doesn't like that. No, and since they're and since this is too early for the Molotov Ribbentrop Pact to have been signed, yeah, not that Germany on. was ever going to go through with that. I gotta but. look up this Molotov. Ribbentrop Pact. Okay. Yeah, what year is that signed? The Google machine. <laughs> the Google machine is not thinky. Um, Molotrov Ribbentrop Pact. Signed on the 23rd of August, 1939. <laughs> It wasn't. It was too early for that to be signed. About ten minutes. Okay. Uh, I have about ten minutes. That's that's pretty early. Okay. Yeah, I thought I had way more time than that. Yeah. Okay. But <laughs> let's just go through the rest of these questions. Um. So, and, and the other thing that we need to talk about is Poland also has better tanks at this point. They have the set. They have what's called the seven TP. Um. Which is a development of the Vickers six ton. They added a ton to it, hence the seven T. Uh, P basically stands for Polish ish, sort of. Um, but it's got a. Uh, does this have a 45, a 50? It's got a decent oh, yeah, gun in it. Yeah, it's got a. Bofors 37 millimeter. Oh, yeah, the Bofors 37mm. That was actually better than the 37mm pack um, that was used to arm the early Panzer threes. It was a little bit lacking in the armor department, but had Poland had more of those tanks, they could have easily turned the war against the Germans. And Not I mean, against the Soviets, because the Soviets outranked the 7TP by a lot, but against the Germans, they were still invading it mainly with Panzer ones and Panzer twos, and a few Panzer threes thrown in there. Yeah, and I mean, if Poland sees... Hey, there's these communist threats to here. Our yeah, and then the other thing here. I was like, and do then they start appealing like, hey here. guys, you've got two horrible ideologies on this continent that might take over the entire continent after this war if you guys don't get involved. We yeah. want your help, Britain. It would be so easy for them to go, we want your help, Britain. Or we want your help, France. Yeah, and drag them in. So it, instead of France starting this war, it's Poland. Or France dragging everyone in, it's Poland this time. Mm -hmm. Anyways, second <laughs> question. What of Finland and the eternal quest for a warm water port? Hmm. If this war starts so early, is there time for the winter war to happen? Because if the Soviet Union decides to fight the Winter War, but also the other thing is 
part of the reason why they fought the Winter War the way that they did was because of how Germany invaded Poland and the Soviet Union wanted to flex its military muscles. But Germany but if Poland doesn't ever get invaded that, in this, then they probably won't do that. Yeah, but they still need that warm water port though. Hmm. Especially, especially if the war stays mostly confined to Spain. But if they don't need to show off their military maneuvering capabilities because Germany never invades Poland and uses those encirclement tactics, then they, they would might just actually... like do a straight up march up the one highway that Poland has, go to Helsinki and say, hey, your territory is ours now. Give us your warm Yeah, no, water you're going to hand over one of your warm water ports to us. And if not, well, you know. We what already happens. own like half your country, so. Yeah. Yeah, so. Because. So that that's actually something that I think would happen. Yeah. Next question. Uh, would this fighting end up pulling France in? I mean, if Poland were to appeal, mm, if they were to appeal to France, but like the other well, thing is, France is pretty France heavy into is, the Popular Front movement pre World War II, just like in Spain. Because the Popular Front was going on all over Europe prior to 1936. And even during the Spanish Civil War, France was still pretty socialist. So they might end up having some sort of uneasy alliance with the Soviet Union. Rather than with... Um, uh, rather than Poland. With Poland. Yeah. But they'd also probably see... Poland as more of their ally than a threat. Yeah, they see Poland would be better as an ally. Mm -hmm. And they'd also see that, that Russia would be a decent <clears throat> ally to have. And they'd also be looking at Spain and saying, they're right on our border. Mm -hmm. They have a lot of ports that are really close to us. We don't want Germany taking those ports. What? Whose ports? Our, the Soviet Union? France aren't there at least about... some... No, I'm talking about in Spain, aren't there at least some ports? Well, obviously. Yeah. But if yes. France would be looking at Spain saying, they're really close to our waters. We really don't want fascist. Can you, can you oh, quiet down? Sorry. We really don't want fascist Germany to get a hold of those ports. So it would be good to, it would be a better idea to interfere with things. So they would probably get dragged in. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, okay. So then next question. Next question, not next question. Will Germany and the USSR wait to invade one another? Is Spain the main battleground or will this war envelop all of Europe? If so, how long will this take? Because here's the thing. It's a really weird thing because both the Germany and the Soviet Union are going to be fighting outside their borders for most of the early yeah. stages of this war, at least. But especially, if I Poland could see neutral. it devolving into another kind of enveloping Europe sort of war. But yeah, I yeah, think yeah. provided that more people get pulled in. But the question is, which side do people get pulled in on? Like. You know, it, there is a chance that um, Hitler could have mobilized the U.S. onto his side. Very insignificant chance, but it's a chance. There's a much bigger chance they could mobilize Britain or France onto their side. 
Because yeah. there were big fascist movements in both of those countries prior to World War II. And literally, um, the King of England and, well, the King of the UK at that time expressed support for Hitler pretty often and very publicly. Yeah. Hmm. Whether that would translate into actually joining the side, joining you know, that could of fascism. You know that what that could end up to a couple more civil wars occurring, such as in Britain, such as in Britain and France. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is, if Britain's in a civil war, what happens with the colonies? Oh, British colonies. Well, actually, way more Britain than three. But like, let's just talk. You got India. India wants its independence at this point still. Like, they've never not really... There's never been a time when they didn't want their independence. Yeah. If Britain is involved internally fighting a civil war, it's super easy for India to kick out the remaining British troops there. Yeah, so... And there's a decent would, detachment of British troops that are still stuck in India. Yeah, it would probably lead to at least a lot of rebellions... Yeah, not probably a, not all of them successful, but yeah, large portions of India could become independent, and other places within Africa as well. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, a bunch of the South, colonial like South things Africa. in Africa. So you could see the collapse of the British Empire due to this, and plenty of other colonies. Well, British and French colonies, assuming they do have you know civil war, civil war, yeah, would both. probably have rebellions of course not all as well, said not france all is also france is a lot more micromanaging of their colonies in africa than mm. than britain was um, hmm. at least as far as i remember and i, I shouldn't say remember because so i wasn't around for that yeah france could have maybe. less rebellions because they just had more well, troops on successful. they had more boots on the ground yeah less and less successful ones so. yeah um, and then the final question is, is this a war of mobility? Because if the fighting is dominated by Spain for the early days, we might not see the doctrinal shift that happened, and we might see things heavily focused on the defensive except for tanks. Almost yeah. basically like World War I, I just with World War II technology. Perhaps, though I will say Germany, as Germany does, or at least did quite a lot during World War II, would be experimenting quite a lot with their tank designs, which would mean pretty much nothing would ever get completely standardized. Uh, experimenting? Well, no, I don't think they would do that as much in this scenario because, um, you know, because Germany would have a big reason to standardize their tanks pretty quickly. True. Hmm. Well, it looks like I should probably get ready to head out. That means I'm going to leave and there's probably going to be time like uh, there's not going to be any time because I'm going to stop the recording and when I get a text back from Sam that he's ready to join, I'll come back. All right. Well, so. see ya. See ya.
And we're Hello. live. <laughs> I tricked you. <laughs> yeah. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Brigadier, the podcast where today we are discussing our pof- po- bleh, possible metamorphosis into an oh, alternate yes. history campaign. Nazi necro priest. No. No, yes. that breaks tone. That breaks no. tone. How does it break tone? That's like saying that Catholic priests break tone. What? Catholic Catholic don't. priests don't break tone because there's something that was already in this narrative. Uh, you there, don't get what. There were I'm already joking. something that I was going to use in a future episode as a plot device. Uh, look, I'm just Nazi, saying the clock. Nazi Nazi. <laughs> mysticism breaks tone because but it's, it's not real it's real but it's not important to our narrative how about that i don't know there could be a holy grail or some ancient temple here the official podcast uh, the, the official position of this is that neither of those things exist and the nazis were searching for them in vain yes i know that yes but anyway they were real so you've already seen the flow charts Yes. But I've already picked out which one I think is my most likely scenario if we decide to go down the alternate history route. Jacob has been giving me some interesting suggestions. And then here's the first big one. I'm a tank guy. Jacob's a tank guy. We like tanks. And uh, here's here's what the tank situation is going to look like if it's common turn versus the tripartite pact in Europe. The two big tanks on each side. You're going to have this weird hybrid of the very, very earliest models of Panzer III in terms of the gun, because uh, it's going to have the 37 millimeter gun with the armor of the latest models of the Panzer III. Because there's no reason, because the 50 millimeter would be complete overkill for its purpose. Mm but it needs the higher armor so that it won't be penned by anti-tank rifles. Aren't because the earliest most... models of Panzer III were only 15 millimeters thick at their thickest point. Hmm. And I've done the math on like, a cause the T26 is about the same thickness at its thickest points. And it can still be penetrated by anti-tank rifles of World War I vintage. And if you get into the more advanced stuff that started to come out around World War II, hmm. not, yeah, they're 15 millimeters ain't doing jack for you mm. so that's the that's what the tank scenario could look like well um well it's 35 you know millimeters smash or 37 millimeters smashing into 15 millimeters okay i don't even understand that that sentence is just unintelligible to me <laughs> do you even do you even know do I need to explain calibers to you again? Oh God, is this this thing where the fifty cal isn't the fifty cal and we're, fifty caliber oh. is not, because it's written point five zero caliber. Yes, but there's also the yes how it's half an inch and not actually over two inches. Yeah, God, well, actually I hate bullets. Yeah, because there's never been a standard system for how to do bullets. Yeah. But now basically every cartridge that comes out is metro size. It's just that there's a bunch of really old ones that still stick around because they're still very useful cartridges. Okay. Because, like, for for example, like, pretty much up until the invention of the Creedmoor rounds lately, is that like rifle 
it's a specific type of hunting round um oh. but like long rifle full-size rifle ammunition kind of peaked for the longest time unless you're getting into like actual sniper rifles hmm. and even then for some reason actual sniper rifles still like to use non-metricized ammunition but like I... Because it's all down to the person who comes up with the cartridge, what they want to name it. And then whatever gets accepted accepted internationally is just what the cartridge gets named. Okay. I have a question about uh, tank rounds. Yeah. Does, do depleted uranium tank shells actually have depleted uranium in them or no? That's what they're made out of. Oh, okay. I didn't know if it actually was or what was going on with. Why that. would they call it depleted uranium? Anyways, Why yeah. Would so you there's, call so it there's two main alloys used for long rod penetrators, and this is way <laughs> higher tech than is than would be important to our game. But basically, long rod penetrators is another way of saying APFSDS rounds, right? Okay. You can either have a what's called heavy Wolfram alloy, which is tungsten to our American listeners. Everywhere else, yeah. they call it Wolfram, That's um, which weird. is abbreviated as WA Wolfram alloy. And that's roughly the same density as depleted uranium and depleted uranium. It's just depending on what your country's nuclear reactor situation is. In some countries, you're going to have way more depleted uranium than you're going to have Wolfram. And in other countries, you're going to have way more Wolfram than you're going to have depleted uranium. Um, so, for example, Britain, they don't have many. Well, they have nuclear reactors, but like their, their tank rounds are made out of Wolfram alloy. But the reason why the density is important is this. Newton came up with this really weird thing that's a way to approximate penetration. Basically, it goes um, a projectile moving at very high speeds, and this is the only time that it actually holds true, will penetrate into a body um, a distance equivalent to the its density divided by the density of its target material multiplied by its length. So if you have, say, a centimeter. Let's, so, okay, let's just do this. Let's say, let's or, say that you have something that's twice as dense as its target material and it's one meter long. Yeah. The approximation of how far it should penetrate if it's being fired out of a cannon is two meters. It shouldn't okay. penetrate any further than that. Okay. If it's a kinetic energy weapon. Yeah. If it's something that kills other than by kinetic energy, the penetration from Newton isn't going to tell you anything. Because like a heat round, a heat round doesn't, doesn't, you can't use Newton's approximation for that. So what you're saying is that if I launch a four foot spike into someone, it's going to do more damage than if I lock launch a two-foot spike into someone even it if will they penetrate further if they're both moving at the same velocity it won't necessarily do any more damage still it's going to break for their armor easier yes okay well that's useful then yes yeah, so that's basically what it is but anyways we're talking about tanks and the other thing is that tank thing actually kind of segues nicely into our first question because question number one is with common turn which are communists and the fascist tripartite pact, which are fascists, the two main factions, Obviously. does a third faction of capitalist and unaligned nations form, including such countries as Poland, Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia, and Greece? Yes. You'd say yes say on that yes. one? Yep. How well would they coordinate with each other? 
Because those are four nations in four very different parts of Europe. See. Because like I can very easily see Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia, and Greece somewhat synchronizing with each other because they all border each other. Yeah, that can make. But, but, see, then, but then you throw in Poland. And that complicates everything. But the thing about Poland is Poland just kind of just wants to be left alone, but Russia wants to eat it. Yeah. And Germany also wants but to eat it. But in World War II, if they go, okay, we got communists on one side and fascists on the other, we don't want to be either of those things. Yeah. Because what I, what I would envision in this scenario is Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia, and Greece are the original three members of this alliance trying to resist German aggression. And then Poland joins on because they know not only are they going to have to be able to resist German aggression, they're also going to need allies to help resist Soviet aggression. Well, see, think uh, Great Britain, France, right? Mm -hmm. If they don't get involved, which if Germany focuses on fighting Russia from the start rather than trying to fight France from the start, at the very least, even if France... But Germany, does... here's the thing. They can't focus right away on fighting Russia because they have to go through neutral Poland. And the other thing is they're fighting in Spain already. All their tanks are tied up in Spain in 1936. Yes. Which would why, be why they would try to be defensive about it so that they can move their men out. But already, in order to get into this scenario, we're predicating this based off of... them. So we losing. can't just say World War II starts early. We have to give the reason why World War II starts early because yes. we got this tank. And that would lead to not decreasing German presence but in increasing Spain, it. increased German presence and full-scale support of the basically entire Wehrmacht, yes. not just the condor legion for the yes. nationalists which would then lead to increased soviet presence yes until it becomes kind of like a war until it becomes yeah. an actual just basically war between the two of them without it technically being so yeah until they actually declare war on each other with their allies yeah because at some point when your proxy is doing less of the fighting than you in a proxy war <laughs> then you're basically uh, just fighting a normal war yeah yeah. Now, see, but here's the thing is, does Britain and, you know, France and everyone want to actually fight? Well, here's, here's what I'm thinking. Because, see, here's, here's the thing. I'm thinking that they could get pulled in. So Poland, they go, hey, look at us. We were trying to be neutral, but now we've got fascists on one side and communists on the other. Now, you, Great Britain, you're a capitalist monarchy. You don't want the fascists or the communists to take over all of Europe, do you? Because at the end of this war, unless neutral capitalist countries get aligned, one of those two ideologies is going to be dominant in Europe. And they could invoke the fear of communism and the fear of fascism to bring Britain in on their side. As but a see, third if, party, that would be fighting both Russia and Germany. But see, here's the thing, is would they declare war? Because... Unless they, if they, did. they would either straight up declare war and get involved, or they would start providing pretty heavy military aid to the Poles and See, Yugoslavs and etc. Well, I would think is that Russia and Germany too, both knowing, hey, Poland is currently allies to both Britain and France. Were they allies we, to Britain and France in 1936, though? Well, with the threat we to, of Russia. Well, and, yeah. Well, we also have to remember we're starting see, here's, this war off three years early. Yes, but remember, they both, uh, Britain and all the other countries are knowing, hey, the fighting in Spain, 
is getting a lot more just straight up. And they could probably yeah. go, Russia and Germany may actually just simply start fighting each other with their And allies. if they do that, Poland's going to get invaded. So what I, what I, can I explain what I would see them doing? Okay. Maybe they don't necessarily basically come in and replace the Polish military. What I can see them doing is though, starting to sell a bunch more of their more advanced tanks to Poland. Um, even just being like, hey, let's crank up the production of the Vickers six ton. Because if you don't know, the Vickers six ton is basically what all the tanks in Europe are at this point, just with minor modifications. So they go, A, we'll crank up the production of Vickers six tons, or we'll basically convert our facilities to making seven TPs, which was the current standard tank of Poland at the time, if I remember correctly. Let me look that up. Um, because I need to know that it was actually already designed by that period in time, because the, the six ton, hang on. Does Russia and Germany not actually share border in any spot? Russia and Germany? Yeah. No. And neither of their allies? The Soviet Union doesn't even share a border with Germany. Belarus shares a border with Poland and is part of the Soviet Union. Oh. Poland shares a border with Germany. Poland is just in the worst spot ever. Estonia, we might be thinking that because of Estonia and Lithuania, who would eventually become Soviet states, but that would not happen until 1940. Yet. Yeah. So. Well. Yeah. Okay. So the seven TP, Siedo Monotoni Polski. I just butchered that. Did Miatanovi Polski was a Polish light tank of the Second World War. Its development, it was developed from the British Vickers 6-ton, a standard tank of the Polish army during the 1939 invasion of Poland, blah, 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 blah. It started production in 1935. Um, they also tried to produce the 9TP, which was a 9-ton Polish tank. Mm -hmm. Which basically, uh, I think they more or less just up-armed it. Up-armored up it, I mean. Uh, uh, Both engines were water-cooled, which would allow the rear grill to be placed with solid armored plates. Switching from bolted to screwed, bolted and screwed to welded armor plates, which further strengthened the hull and allowed to save an additional 210 kilograms of screws, enough to further strengthen the armor. Yeah, so... They, they strengthen the armor and they widen the tracks. But yeah, that, that modification is too late. But they were already starting out designing it. So literally, um, yeah, the 7TP was already in production. So it could very easily... Uh, yeah, because it's it's just the Vickers six ton, and what I really need to do is basically just stat out the Vickers six ton because when you look at it, the Vickers six ton is actually the basis for two of the of the tanks that we're going to be seeing in this war: the seven TP and also the T twenty six, which we're already seeing the T twenty six, so I can basically yeah. bring most of the stat block off of that. But yeah, the, the six ton was just all over the place. Thanks for so, yeah. weird back then. 
Yeah. Anyways, the next question. That's A. The next question is what of Finland and Russia's eternal quest for a warm water port? Which is actually really important if the fighting is in Spain initially. Basically, does the winter war happen? What? Uh, that's the war where Russia got its ass handed to itself, right? Because let me explain why that happened. So Germany yeah, they, used these really good tactics invading Poland. They're called encirclement tactics. You have yeah. the troops break through at two points, circle yeah. around part of the line, yeah. and crush it. And that yeah. breaks the entire line. There's a huge hole yeah. in it, right? Yeah. But that requires highways. There is literally one highway in Finland <laughs> at the time. All the other roads are dirt roads. <laughs> <laughs> this, high, this highway is a North Dakota highway. Not like a big highway. It's 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 literally just a two-lane paved road. And it goes from the border to the capital. Oh god. So and the thing is they were trying to do encirclement tactics, which require high speed and therefore require roads in the middle of like swampy finished terrain. Yeah. Yeah. Just... And the reason why they were doing it is because Stalin saw Hitler do those really good tactics in Poland. Like, I will not be outdone. <laughs> <laughs> So he tries to do the same uh, thing in Finland and doesn't work out. Even though there was a plan presented to him that would have been just straight up march up the highway and use our superior force to just take the capital. Okay. Now, was that or was that... Because Finland also whole... didn't even have a professional army. Wait, was was Pinecone Man in the... Were, were when they were fighting against the Polish or against the Finnish? Pinecone Man? Yes, the sniper killed like 500 people or something. No. Over, right, was it, or was that a different sniper? Simo Haiha. Was he Pinecone Man? I don't think his name is Pinecone Man. I think his name no, is no. Simo Haiha. No, uh, you know, his entire group was killed. And so he took the drugs that they had, you know, to keep them awake and stuff. And stabbed himself. You're conflating two guys. Simo Haya was just a sniper. Pinecone Man was a different guy. Okay. Simo Haya is just sure. the deadliest sniper in history with okay, a confirmed I wasn't sure. kill. I think he has 498 confirmed kills. Okay. I was. But there were there were three that they couldn't prove that he killed. I wasn't sure if if, if he was also Pinecone Man or not. No. But yeah, the guy uh, took the drugs. You know, as <laughs> they often had soldiers have. You know, the pervidin. Yep, and he used them all on himself. Surprisingly, he didn't overdose. But then he went on a killing spree against enemy soldiers over like two weeks in which he did not sleep. And during the entire time, he ate pine cones. <laughs> and one and swallow that he killed with his rifle. Huh? And one swallow yeah, which he killed yeah. with his rifle and yeah. ate raw. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Have you seen his eyes? Yeah. <laughs> in the photo it's just like, <laughs> this guy has seen some shit yeah anyways God. so oh, man. the thing is canada though canada man won't exist That's canada sad. man 
yeah, the Canada, the Canadian dude who took over the entire Nazi-controlled town by his own, with the threat of tanks. After that was a World tanks... War One thing. Oh wait, I thought it was a was it? It was World War One. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, never mind. Then Canada guy happened. Okay, that's good. Yeah, then. he was walking. He was the guy who led the infantry behind the tanks. Yeah, and all the tanks got stuck in well, the mud, or were destroyed by artillery on the way to the town. So he just walked into the town. And was like, yeah, hey. Tanks are about to be here in like two hours. You should surrender to me and I'll treat you nicely. Uh, so I have a tank round to your face. You don't really want that. Yep. Anyways, so that's Finland. The thing is, if if the, if Poland doesn't get invaded, Russia still needs that warm water port. Yeah. And and Stalin doesn't need to outdo Hitler. Yeah. So, the Winter War in this world could go pretty quick and pretty or, easily in the Soviets' favor. Because it would basically just be boop doop, walk up this one highway, take over the capital, and then you know, because, you know, Finland didn't actually have a professional army in that war, right? It was basically just local militias. Yeah. That's just... That'd be a very sad war. You know, just be like, doop, That's doop, why doop, doop. You always match you die. your tactics to the terrain. Yeah. Right? It's, it's very... Even if you go back to, like, really old tactical documents, like the Art of War. Yeah. There's, like... There's like hundreds of stanzas in the art of war just about how to know if the ground is good for the use of chariots or not. Yeah. Because the chariot was like the big, it was it was like the main battle tank of its day. Yeah. You had, it was also a lot bigger. You had one guy with like this weird pike that also had an axe blade on it, but it wasn't an axe. Yep. It's called a dagger axe. So it's basically like a dagger blade sticking off the side of a pike and you use that to yeah. chop at people. And then you had a bunch of archers as well. Especially if you had like a four man chariot or four horse chariot. Yeah, the uh, Chinese chariots were four-horse ones. Romans also had four-horse chariots. Yeah, I know, but I'm specifically talking about Chinese chariots because Art of War is a, ti- is a Chinese document. Oh, uh, I, okay. I, 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 I was thinking it was Japanese. I completely... No. I... No, when it was yeah, written... Yeah, no, I, the, I, I think forgot. When it was written, only the Ainu would have been in Japan. I forgot. Yeah, so only only the actual native people of Japan would have been in Japan. Because uh, the people that we call Japanese are not Japanese. That's not too surprising. Yeah, they migrated from China. Hmm. And they brought along with them the writing system, and they also oppressed who the actual natives are, and they're known as the Ainu people. Oh, that's right. So they didn't just genocide them. That typically is what happens in those cases. Well, they did a genocide, and then they stopped doing a genocide after World War II, but now I knew people basically just have no legal recognition. Hmm. They still today or no? Yeah, still today. They never. The I knew never ceded any of the land to the Japanese. It's not like in the U.S. where you can argue. It's like, yeah, but they signed this treaty that gave us their land. It's like, yeah. Now Here, we just they took just... it over, and they never said that we took it over, so technically the I knew still owed all of Japan. Oh. But anyways, that's very the next weird. question is, does this war pull in France? And I think that's kind of a poorly worded one because France would be less likely to be pulled in. 
because it would France... be more likely for Britain to be pulled in, I think. Yeah. But also Britain at that time would be more likely to be pulled in on the side of the Nazis than on the side of the Soviets. Yeah, that's true. You because know. their king literally had espoused uh he was like Hitler's a great dude <laughs> multiple oh, times. Oh yeah, that speech. really weird like king. royal dude. Yeah, no, that was literally the king of Britain at the time. He had to Wait, step I down after his... World He had to step down no, after World War II. No, it was the king. It was oh. the actual king during World War II. It was a Nazi sympathizer. <laughs> the reason why he had to step down after World War II was not because he was a Nazi sympathizer during World War II. It was because he wanted to marry a woman who had been divorced twice, which would have been, <laughs> which would have been like triple bigamy according to the law, because at the time, the Anglican Church did not recognize divorce. I thought the entire reason why Britain wasn't part of the Catholic Church was because they wanted divorce. Yeah, and then they stopped recognizing divorce. That's really Pretty quickly stupid. after they did that. <laughs> yeah, basically, initially, Anglicanism was basically just Catholicism with divorce. And then it got more Protestant. And then it went back with the Book of Common Prayer to basically just being Catholicism again. Hmm. So then they stopped recognizing divorce and stopped a lot of stuff that made them more Protestant. So basically, literally, it's just Catholicism. But yeah, so it was because he wanted to marry a woman who had been divorced twice. And not because he was a Nazi. Actually, no, I don't think. Yeah, and yeah, which is weird to me. But yeah, like basically, so do they, are they able to pull in Britain? I don't think they'd be able to pull in America because America was really hard isolationist at the time. And they wanted to stay. The president wanted to get into World War II, but the people weren't behind it because they had just gotten off of World War I. Would the Holocaust happen? Because they're now like, right. Instead of like how... Yes, because the Holocaust... The early stages of the Holocaust began the moment Hitler got into power. I mean, like, like Dachau, the whole Dachau in 1936 was already open. So the first concentration camps were already running. They hadn't started the extermination process yet, at least, at least, at least officially. But like you hold the people in squalid conditions and a bunch of them are going to die anyways. Oh, so I was the intention because... of the camps at that point was not yet to exterminate people, but they were but... rounding up Jews and throwing them in camps. Yeah. See, I'm just wondering because instead of like how in World War One, where they were on the offensive for the majority of the war till they yeah. lost, if now because they'd be forced onto the defensive with Russia going right in, if that would. But he- here's the other thing: the whole reason why the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact got signed in our world is because both Germany and the Soviet Union they looked at each other and were like, "I'm not ready to invade you yet." Let's hold off for like three years. And in three years, we're going to fight a war. Because <laughs> that was the whole thing about the Molotov Ribbentrop Pact. It was like, I don't want to fight you yet, but I want Poland. Yeah. <laughs> can we not fight each other for like three years so we can build up our armies and then kill each other better? Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and then the other thing is Germany. I think, especially if we're if there is that alliance of Poland, Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia, and Greece, the Czech front could 
the Czech front or the Polish front would probably be the second fronts to open up. And I think at that point, either Czechoslovakia or Poland are going to have to make hard choices as to whether or not they're going to align themselves with the Soviet Union, because the Soviet Union, um, objectively, just based off of how they're not as mechanized as Germany, but if you look at the stats, Germany also wasn't very mechanized. About 98% of their units were still using horses. It was literally 2% that were riding around in APCs. The rest were all on horseback. We all know how horses went in World War One. Well, they weren't they weren't cavalry. They were they 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 weren't cavalry. They were what were they used for then? The horses carried Artillery? around their equipment. Okay. Yeah. Still they, and they I rode think around it... on them from town to town. It was when they got to like the front line, they would go, they would dismount their horses. Just you know um, we should probably stop our video for Ryland. Okay. Uh, hello yeah, there. Yeah. I'm your cat girl GF Ryland. Yeah. Milana? Hello. Do that. There are 20 levels of cringe here now. Congratulations. Hey Ryland. How's life? You alive, Ryland? It's going good. Ah, good. He's not dead. <laughs> yeah, just a, yeah, just good. Just a little cold. That's all. Yeah. Anyways, we have been talking through some questions. Yes. Yeah. Would Africa go the same? Africa? Yeah. Well, I mean, Africa's mostly British and French colonies at this point. Except so for go. Ethiopia, because Ethiopia had already by this point won war against the Italians. How? Uh, Italy's military was really bad, and Ethiopia uh, was a very wealthy nation because it had a lot of gold. Okay. So they actually sense. had like machine guns and tanks, whereas every other uh, African nation was quite poor compared to Ethiopia. Yeah. So Ethiopia had the ability to have a somewhat modern military and Italy completely bungled their whole campaign and didn't have any armor support. Oh, that's really stupid. It's Italy, dude. Yes, 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 yes. I know, I know. Italy's, it kind of fell into a dark age after the fall of Rome and everything, but still. Yeah, I mean, honestly, though, Bring back the Roman Republic. <laughs> yes. Not the Empire, the Republic, because the Republic was a pretty chill place. Yeah. Once you get into the Empire, everything starts going downhill. Wait, why don't you like the Empire? Like, except because after the... you get past like the first few emperors, they don't do anything cool. It's okay. that it's like that. It's the first, it's the Julio Claudian dynasty. And then after that, you would not be able to name me a single emperor. Was Neo after that? Neo? Yeah, it's it's the Julio Claudians and then the and then the dynasty. Okay, so there's like three good dynasties. Yeah. The two ones after the Julio Claudians are really short. Who's and then the after who... that, Rome gets into times like the year with four emperors. Do you know what that was? 
I'm guessing that was when the empire broke apart, sort of, and there were four no, emperors trying to claim the No, it was a year where, during the first part of the year, the first emperor got assassinated, so his son became the oh. emperor. Then that guy got assassinated, so his brother became the emperor. Then that guy got assassinated, so somebody else became emperor. Okay, is this... So there were literally one... four emperors in one year. Okay, is this where that one dude was like, I can't trust the Praetorian Guard, so instead I'm going to go to Germany and hire a bunch of mercenaries to be my Praetorian Guard. That was a later thing than this. The year with four emperors. Well, still. That was because the emperor started oppressing the plebeians, and then the plebeians had him assassinated. And then the (laughs) emperor did the same thing and got assassinated too. (laughs) Because the thing is also once you get into the empire... Um, because the because the people aren't elected anymore, they don't really give a damn about actually being nice to the common folk. Yeah, but at least you know the Romans had the you know Roman Empire had the Colosseum and everything. The Colosseum was literally built during the late Republic. Wasn't it built in eighty AD? Yeah. Never mind. It would have been during the early Empire, but like yeah, they had gladi- They had gladiators. I mean, like the whole Colosseum they had, with all they had the um. They're the Circus Maximus. That that's the Colosseum, I think. No, the Circus Maximus is a chariot racing track. Okay, I thought that was just the name for. No, the Circus the Colosseum's proper name is the Flavian Amphitheater. Okay. And then they, because originally Flavius, um, well, no, it's okay. So Colosseum means the place of the Colossus. Basically, mm-hmm. um, originally it was built under. Emperor Flavius, hence the name Flavian Amphitheater. Hmm. And then there was originally a statue of Apollo out front. Uh, Emperor Nero takes the head off the statue and replaces it with a carving of his own head. And then that gets named the Nerian Colossus. And the place became known as the place of the Nerium, the place of the Nerian Colossus or the Colosseum. But anyways, Rylan, now we got to start over with these questions and ask you. So, what do you know what we were talking about? You don't know what we were talking about at all, do you? Not a clue. Okay, so basically, either A, this tank, we can get a couple fun missions out of it, and then this tank will cause you to never be challenged again. Or B, we can take this tank and have the Republicans realize that the radio is like 10 times more important than the tank, reverse engineer the radio. That leads to the mass production of this radio. The Germans no longer are able to have secret radio communications because also uh, nobody knew how to encrypt voice communications back then. You could encrypt uh, telegraph communications, but you couldn't encrypt a voice up until like the 1940s. So at this point, if you're talking over the radio, anybody with a radio set that can tune to the proper frequency can listen into what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so then basically they reproduce all those radios. They listen in on the Germans. We figure out where all of their tanks are. We use that info to deploy anti-tank squads who then go out and blow up their tanks, mm-hmm. which creates a massive advantage for the Republicans because now the nationalists don't have the ability to have their tanks move around well. Mm-hmm. See, because if you... Because radios are great for coordinating, but also if anybody with a set that can tune into your frequency can listen to you, they make it really easy to know where all your tanks are. Yeah. 
So then you'd basically have to always be moving your tanks under radio silence, which then negates the whole thing that made the Panzer a good tank was all of the tanks had radios and were constantly talking to one another. You re- I just realized if I go with option B, we basically just did what you said we weren't going to do, change history. I said that before I really considered that there's no way to inject people into this without changing history because you guys have free will, right? Yeah. Yeah, and your characters therefore have free will and your characters weren't in the war originally, which means that even if everybody else chooses to do all the same things, your characters could change the tactical situation in one area of the map, which could then change the tactical situation in other areas of the map because the Germans react to it and have to move their troops around and stuff, which then means that the strategic situation gets changed, which then means that we're fighting an entirely different war. It's basically just the butterfly effect. Yeah, we, we've changed history without trying. Yeah, and so either A, we can pretend like we're not, and I can sort of railroad you down the course of a war that you can never win, and your impacts basically can't be allowed to have any effect on the overall fighting, or B, I can turn you guys into the people who just accidentally started World War II. B. B. So we're all in agreement then. All right. Because so, that's awesome. We just started World War II early. Yeah, you just, you just caused a series of events. Let me read. Let me go down the series of events. So you guys get the tank. The Republicans realize that the tank's radio is about 10, 20 times more important than the actual tank. They decide, we're not gonna use this radio tactically. We're gonna reverse engineer it. We're gonna use it strategically. We're gonna deploy copies of these radio sets all up and down the front line. So we have a bead on where all of the German tanks are at the time. They press Germans, who you know, speak German, into service to listen in on these communications. And then the Germans don't notice this initially up until we blow up a ton of their tanks, like probably at least a hundred, which completely changes the tactical shape of the war because originally the Germans had slightly more tanks than the Soviets. And that means Blitzkrieg would probably never re-exist. Not necessarily because Germans already had the idea of lightning war. Yeah. Which is just basically tanks supported by aircraft and artillery and then infantry supporting tanks rather than tanks supporting infantry. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're like, well, the nationalists are now going to lose this war unless we increase our presence in Spain. And then what they do is the Germans, instead of just sending over the Condor Legion, start sending over large portions of the Wehrmacht. The Soviets go, okay, now the Republicans... The Germans have increased their presence. The Republicans now actually seem like they have a shot at winning this, and we could flip them further. Com- we could flip them further left, make Spain into a communist nation if they win. Mm-hmm. So then they massively increase their support, and the Soviet support. Not only is it going to be tanks, it's going to be guns, but it's also going to be some of the best generals in Europe at the time. Because remember, the Germans haven't been fighting any wars; the Soviets have. The Soviets mm-hmm. are now veterans of three big confrontations. They have the uh, Manchurian border conflict, number one, which is Justin's infantry, infancy. They will eventually become veterans of Kalkin. Well, they probably won't because everything will be different now. So Kalkin goal might not ever occur. 
Um, but then they're also veterans of the Polish-Soviet War. Um, so these generals are, you know, all sitting around and figuring out their doctrine and everything, and they have developed doctrine. The Soviets also have about 18,000 tanks to the Germans 500 at this point. Mm-hmm. So what happens in Germany? Well, um, we definitely, we definitely changed the lightning war strategy because now they can't really use tanks. Well, not necessarily. See, they're only dealing with the very most infant of their tank designs. That's fair. Because they've got tanks as new as the Panzer III already in pre-production. Well, already being designed, the Panzer III. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Panzer III was initially, that was their main medium tank. Um, The Panzer IV, which is probably... um, after the big cats, the most iconic tank of World War II, um, on the German side, obviously. That was originally supposed to be an infantry gun, infantry support gun with a turret. So it originally carried a 75 millimeter howitzer before later they gave it a long 76 millimeter gun, which was actually an anti-tank gun. The howitzer (laughs) could fire what are called heat rounds, high explosive anti-tank. And basically what those do is they uh, funnel the explosion so that it punches through armor really well. But those were strictly for self-defense. And they only carried a few of them. They only carried like eight per tank. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these tanks, the Panzer IV was not designed to fight. It only had like 30 millimeters of armor originally. It was very under-armored. But basically what I'm thinking on the tank front is Germans focus really heavily. They get a weird form of Panzer III out. Now, see, the early Panzer III's were armed with a 37mm anti-tank gun derived from the Pac-37. The later model Panzer III's were armed with a 50mm anti-tank gun derived from the Pac-50. That was also much, much longer to get every ounce of muzzle velocity they could out of it. Mm-hmm. And with that gun came thicker armor and the all-important Skirtson. Mm-hmm. You know what the Skirtson are, right? That's slanted armor, right? No. No, no. The skirts are the big skirts that they put on the side of the tank. They were put there because the Soviets had anti-tank rifles, which were capable of penetrating the sides of the Panzer III and IVs. But if you put on the skirts and they were like 20 millimeter thick uh, side skirts that were also spaced away from the armor. And basically what spaced armor does to a bullet is when the bullet comes through, it will have tilted a little bit and won't be coming through at the proper angle to penetrate the next armor plate. So that spacing um, can actually give you way more effective armor thickness just because it, you know, number one decelerates and number two puts torque on the bullet, but all that's complex armor stuff. But basically what they would have is they would have the gun of the early ones on the body of the late ones. So they'd have, uh, what is it? They'd have 50 millimeter thick armor, I want to say. I can pull up my handy dandy uh, Panzer III reference here. Armor, the Panzer one Ausführung A through C had 15 millimeters or 0.59 inches of RHA on all sides with 10 millimeters on the top and five millimeters on the bottom. Okay. This was quickly determined to be insufficient and was upgraded to 30 millimeters on the front sides, rear and the Aus D, E, F, and G models with the H model have a second 30 millimeter uh, layer 
of face hardened steel applied to the front and real rear hull. Um, what face hardened steel was there for? It's basically you cast the steel in a mold where the front of the mold is in water and the back of the mold is just allowed to cool by the air. So the front of the mold hardens really fast. It gets really hard and the back of the mold stays pretty soft. And basically what that does is when you have an anti-tank round come in, uh, if it doesn't have what's called a cap on it, which is a piece of soft metal on it, anti-tank rounds are really, really hard. So when it smacks into it, it just shatters like glass. So, um, and then obviously those fragments still have a lot of momentum to them. Those fragments can still penetrate, but the round structural integrity has basically been completely compromised. Mm-hmm. But by the time of World War II, basically all anti-tank rounds already had a cap or a cap, and then what's called a ballistic cap, which is a thing that makes it more aerodynamic because the cap has to be pretty much flat. Sorry for talking about all these considerations about the gun. Basically, um, then you get into the Alster J's who have a solid 50 millimeter plate. Well, the Alster J1 L and M had an additional layer of offset 20 millimeter um, homogenous steel plate. Basically, at longer ranges, they're immune to anti-tank rifles then. Mm-hmm. So it was a pretty, it's a pretty decent tank, this weird hybrid model. Basically, it's got armor enough to resist most anti-tank rifle shots. Especially since the anti-tank rifles is going to be dealing with in 1936 or 19, probably closer to 1938, when it actually reaches the battlefield are going to be of World War I vintage. They're not going to have developed as much. So it's, it's a very effective tank, but then on the Soviet side, they're probably going to ex- keep experimenting with the BT series to help counter this Panzer III, because the Panzer III is really more of a light tank than a medium tank at the time you get into the heavier, later models. Mm-hmm. And from that experimentation, they're going to create essentially the T-50, which was, um, let me look that up. Uh, how's your internet doing, Ryland? It's doing not that great, but I'm not sure. Would I it be think... good enough for me to share my screen? Yeah, I think it would be good enough to share your screen. Okay. Because, yeah, then I can show you um, what I am uh, showing you. Okay, so this is... Ah, okay. Um, That can go down here. Okay, so what I was showing was... Okay, so Panzer III. I keep saying okay. God, gosh darn. So this thing is... This is a... When this thing loads, this is a Panzer III Ausf-H. So you can see there how it's got the longer gun yeah mm-hmm. this is a 50 millimeter gun not a 37 millimeter it's basically one of the older models just up gunned it doesn't have the really insanely long barrel because the barrel on the late models would come out to about where my mouse cursor is now mm. because again like i said the longer you make the barrel of a gun the longer the propellant gas pushes on the bullet and then so, the faster the thing comes out of the muzzle so in other words, it would look like a more modern tank. Not really. It's just got a longer gun barrel. Mm. 
Um, but just during World War II, because a lot of fighting went on in urban areas, the whole uh, design ethos was you almost never had a gun that was longer than the, that out, protruded out past the front of the tank because it would get caught on stuff and then bent. I do have two questions. Yeah. Will this increase the speed of nuclear weapons? Possibly. I hadn't really considered the nuclear question. Um, the Germans would nukes, have nukes, started nukes. experimenting into <laughs> nukes, but what we know from World War II is that the German nuclear program never actually figured out how to make uranium fissile, and they didn't even get close to figuring out how to design a nuke. They were close to building a rocket, though, which is surprising. Uh, what, what kind of rocket? Like a uh, rocket to, like, you know, like a missile. They built a missile. Yeah. They literally, they literally built a guided anti-aircraft missile. Which is funny that they couldn't build a nuke, but they built something, you know, like that. Well, it's just because building a nuke is like exponentially harder than building a guided missile. <laughs> Anyways, the other really? big... Even with yeah. what they have and everything? Nuclear yeah. fission didn't really exist. No, yeah. I just mean like... As because think far about as this, I know they didn't put too much work. Completely untested technology. You don't know anything about how nukes work going into and World the, War II. The Indians had the Indians had nukes. Who did? It, it's a joke. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I know uh, that. I was talking about. Yeah. Okay. And and two. Um, at, I have a feeling at first we're going to be we're going to be praised for um, you know changing the tides of the war, but later on down the road, are we going to see repercussions for you know years long worth of war? Maybe um, people are going to start not liking you so much. But the other thing is, um, you could also be seen as heroes because you know. Mm -hmm you're the ones who are basically allowing to turn the tide against the Germans because well, originally look. it's it, originally before this, it's looking like it's going to be a slow grinding fight, but you're probably not going to win it. See, here's the thing also is that, you know, no one really knew, you know, like when we did, no one would really, we didn't know. First off, we didn't know that lead to that. And it's not just our actions. It's also what other people do as well. So you can't simply blame it upon us alone. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. Okay, this I, I is just, the this is I one of the few surviving T60s because they only made 69 tanks, which is very nice. Nice. <laughs> what? Well, I don't want to look at the maintenance template removal thing. I want to look at the image of the T fifty. The only, the only thing I that I find enjoyable about this is that we're going to be mentioned in history books years down the line. Yeah, you will. Um, Not necessarily because of how much we changed the war. Military history I, books, I you might probably not in like general yeah. history books. So this is the T fifty. And you might notice, if you know anything about World War II tanks, how much it looks like the t later T-34. That's because the T-50 was developed into the A-20. Let me look that up. 
do 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 Okay, but basically what I'm trying to say is that when the Soviets developed this, because from their experimentation with the BT series, which they will, because the BT series are woefully inadequate, and so are the only other thing, which would be the T28. And so are the only other thing besides that, which would be the T35. Because there's so many gosh darn Soviet tanks. A20 tank, thank you. No, we want the A20 tank, not the Douglas A20 Havoc. And to, anyways, when I'm trying to Ooh, bombers. Tank R12 A20. A20 heavy tank. No. A20 <laughs> USSR Tankopedia. That's that's the wrong that's the wrong A20. Disregard this A20. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's this like in, it's an improved version of the Matilda 2 slash Valentine. <laughs> Kato, I am sorry. We have we've changed history, and now you have to work. No, I like this. I I just I gotta do stat blocks. But here's the thing: in the early days of the war, there's gonna be like two. There's all I need to do is get the stat blocks for the six ton tank, this this Vickers tank here, because see, this tank was developed into basically every tank in Europe at the time. So all I have to do is figure out what the stats for this are and then make minor changes to this one stat block to design every other tank in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder, what, since we stole their radio, would that lead to us making radar faster? No. Radar, the, the, the basics of radar was already known by 1936. The Germans were already experimenting into radar. And that stealing their radio, it's not like radios are unknown. It's just the use of radio in tanks isn't common yet. Yeah. Adrian Tank USSR. <laughs> it's it's basically just the prototype of the T thirty four. You can see it, it's 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 these over here. Also, I just realized since yes, the A the A twenty was the winning prototype of the of the T thirty four. That's that's really all I that is known. That that's really all that I need to say about it. Anyways, continue. Didn't, didn't uh, during Pearl Harbor didn't we get like a radio transmission something beforehand, like almost just before it happened? Like yes. Yeah. We got the official declaration of war from Japan. Um, basically, the declaration of war from Japan, because Japan had an embassy in Washington. So about like two minutes before they started bombing, uh, guy, they burned all the documents in the Japanese embassy, and they handed over the declaration of war to the government. But by that time, it was already too late. Okay. So... Even this wouldn't change that much. Okay. Probably not. No. Okay. This is this is the T thirty four eighty five. That's the late model of the T thirty four. 
Um, Yes, this is the pre-production prototype A34, which mm -hmm. is the basically just, um, come on, load. It's the prototype. It's got this really complicated hull front, but you can see how much it looks like the A20, can't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see it. It looks so like basically, a frog. Yeah, but basically the Soviets, um, from their experimentation with the BTs, they create the A20, the T, the T50, not the A20, and then they create this A34 from their experimentation with the T50, mm -hmm. and then you get the very early models of T34, which is the T34's early models are trash they're they're very bad up until you get to the 1940 we'll say 1941 model because the 1941 model starts to have some of the better um yeah because they need the this the f the f-34 gun because originally they have the gun that the um oh uh, what were they called that the t-28s had and the Soviets also had T-28s, so now I got to show you the T-28. There's a lot of tanks, but a lot of them are really cool. Yeah. I wonder if any handheld weapons were sped up, too, in this, because... Not the... Okay, thank you. Wikipedia knows me. Wikipedia knows that I do not mean the T-28 Trojan. I mean the T-28 tank. And so it does show up as result number two. Uh, this, this is, this is. While we're waiting for that, I can show you the final model of the Panzer Kampfwagen II. You can see how gigantic its uh, gun is. You can see that big extra armor plating mm -hmm. designed to help shatter stuff on the impact. Um, but yeah, now that's the T twenty eight over there. Do you okay. see that? It's a really small barrel. That's a 75 millimeter barrel. Mm. It's short, yeah, because it's supposed, to, it's mainly supposed to throw high explosives, so it doesn't need to be super accurate. Okay. But it has okay performance, I guess, as an anti-tank gun, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It's not. It's not amazing. Main argument. Main armament. The KT twenty eight howitzer. What? T twenty. Yeah, that's that's only for the original T twenty eight. Let's see if they have any of the T twenty eight model nineteen thirty four. That's the main production model. The L ten. The L ten. Yeah, that's what the original gun is in the um, T thirty four. And you see from here. Oh, also, I got to tell you something great. So caliber is also a unit of length. Sam? Sam, you there, Sam? Uh, yeah. So caliber is also a unit of length. So the width of the barrel, that's the caliber. 
And then if you say my gun is five calibers long, that means that your gun barrel is five times as long as it is wide. So they lengthened it from 16.5 times as long as it was wide to 26 times as long as it was wide. Um, they added a slightly better stabilizer. That's a short stabilizer. So it doesn't fully allow shoot on move capability, but if it was, if the tank is like crawling forward, you can technically fire while you're on the move. But uh, yeah, so that's the, um, yeah. Anyways, but the T-34 is gonna come into existence eventually. And that is going to prompt the development of get ready for it. The, the tank you all know and love, the Panzer IV. But what model of Panzer IV? Well, of course, well, the front lines in Spain, they're going to get stagnant, right? They're not going to be doing too hot. They're not going to be moving around all the time. So first off, they're going to develop the Panzer IV as God intended. And it's the Panzer IV A, which we'll go down here because this is, this isn't the ASF A one, but you can see how the gun barrel is really short. Do you see that? Mm -hmm. Okay, and, and basically this one, this gun here, it's not designed for anti-tank use. It's designed to throw high explosive. So it can be very short and still get away with it. Um, but then later on, we get the long 75 of the AUS F2, which is then later <laughs> developed into the 4G. That's the wrong image, Wikipedia. <laughs> That's the engine. That same engine powers all of these Panzer IVs. Anyways. I haven't even started asking you the questions. So we're going to stop talking about tanks and we're going to get into the questions. And uh, Sam, you can sort of explain what we thought about these questions. And then Ryland, you can chime in with your answer. So the first question is, um, with common turn in the fascist tripartite pact, the two main powers, there's a third faction of capitalist and unaligned nations form, including such countries as Poland, Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia and Greece. Plus Britain. Possibly plus Britain. But that would come in at a later date. Yeah. Because, you know, they don't really like either side. But of course, if they did have to join with the major powers, it would be the Nazis because, you know, the communists want to kill them while the Nazis don't directly want to. Well, it's less that than the fact that the, the that their king at the time was a literal Nazi. Oh, yeah, that too. But I doubt, you know, the monarchy would want to help people who want to destroy monarchies. Well, they could be fighting with the Soviets mainly so that they would fight. So mainly so they could defeat the Germans, because I don't know if you know this, but Britain's army is actually really tiny. Yeah. And is yes. outnumbered by the German army, whereas yes, the Soviet yes. army is gigantic. Yes, that's where the whole phrase of we have more men than they have bullets come from. Yeah, which is not true at all. Well, no, but we you have more 
men, then they can. Yeah, know, I know, but it's also not shoot. applicable to how the Soviets actually fought. It's there were battles like that, though. I'm pretty sure, like the in the early uh, war when the yes, Soviets the hadn't early. developed their deep battle doctrine. Yes, where they literally did throw tons of men, including some because of them they were unarmed. because when you but when you but when you look at it, why are they doing that? They're trying to slow the Germans down yes. just long yes. enough so they can move their factories and get everything yes. reindustrialized. Yes, I'm just saying they did fight like that for very brief periods of time. But generally, when you look at the Soviets' uh, battle doctrine, it's actually really very strategic and not just throwing men at the problem until the problem goes away. It's actually encirclement tactics, fighting deep behind enemy lines, supporting partisans. It's Yes, I'm of, not saying they didn't do that. I'm just saying that out of any army yeah, to it, do. That argument's not, it's besides the point, though. Not quite art of war, but close. Yeah, well, I mean, if we're just saying art of war is strategic, I mean... The Soviet military doctrine is more complex than art of war because art of war is really hard to implement as an actual thing. But anyways, yeah. So then the question is, with Poland, Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia, and Greece, four very different nations, how well did they coordinate? And the thing is, Poland could be left as sort of a third wheel on this whole thing because if you look at it, uh, Yugoslavia shares, I think they shared a border with Czechoslovakia. Hang on, I need to look up map of europe 1936 and then you don't have one on your wall a map of europe for 1936 yeah as far as you don't have a map of europe for you know every year i I, why would i know sam do you have a map of europe for every year no, 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 no. Are we saying for every year since Europe was its own continent, or are we saying a map <laughs> of Europe for every year since human civilization? No, obviously, since the fall of both of the uh, both the Roman and the uh, what are they called? God, the Western Rome or Eastern Roman Empire. The okay. yeah, obviously. Okay. Now that I'm looking at it, and this is and this whole map is at a weird angle. Uh, Czechoslovakia sh- does not quite share a border with Yugoslavia because of Hungary, but uh, uh, well, Austria wouldn't join up with us because Austrians wanted to join um, with Germany. Romania would not join up with it because Romania wanted to join up with Germany because of the Irish Front. Um, Hungary also probably wouldn't. Hungary, no, wait, Hungary might have. Hungary was a minor, were they? I think they were minor axis, but I didn't think they really wanted to be minor axis. Um, so Hungary could join. So you'd have Poland, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Yugoslavia, and Greece in sort of a line down the center of Europe. And so basically, they've got Germany on one side and Italy on one side, and then on their side, they've got the Soviet Union. So do they end up fighting both sides is the next question. Hmm. Not sure. Okay, next question after that. Does their advantage in terms of weaponry, because if you look at the sort of tanks that are being developed in Poland, in Czechoslovakia, 
Not in Greece. Greece doesn't have a good tank force. But if you look at the tanks and stuff that are being developed in those two countries. Does Greece even have an army at this time? What yes. were they even doing? Greece has an army, but Greece is very poor at this time. Yeah, they kind of just fell off the map after the whole, you know, invasion of Rome and invasion by Rome and stuff. What? No, Greece got its independence back in the 1800s and since then no, they've been I'm like a said minor they power fell in Europe. off the map as in you don't really hear about them. We've literally been hearing nonstop about the Greek financial crisis since 2008. I have not heard of anything about them in like since wow. literally. You need to pay more attention because you should be hearing about Greece in relation to Cyprus as well because Cyprus is heavily contested. <sighs> I've seen enough. I've never seen anything or heard anything about that. What is that? Cyprus is an island and it's currently split between Turkey and Greece. But both Turkey and Greece want to own all of Cyprus because Greece says it's part of the ancestral Greek lands and Turkey's like, yeah, but Turkish people have lived on it forever. Okay. And half and roughly half of the population is Greek and half of the population is Turkish. Okay. So it's hard for either one of them to claim it. So it's literally just split down the middle between the two. And that both of them like have a... military bases on the island, and there's occasionally skirmishes between the two militaries there. Why are they fighting exactly? It seems that just simply cutting the island in half is a perfectly good solve to that because problem. Because both of them want the whole island. So they're just being selfish. Yes, but that's basically besides the point. <sighs> so if you look at uh, what the Czechoslovak's, the Czechoslovak's uh, big tank is right now, it is a little thing called the... Uh, uh well, Vizor 35. You may know it better as the Panzer 35T. Is I don't know what that means. Yeah, but you're also not really big into World War II, are you? No. Yeah. The basically, um, it was a good enough tank that it was actually better than what the Germans had when they occupied Czechoslovakia. So the Germans basically made the Czechs continue producing it just for the German military. And then they eventually did a minor modification to the Panzer 38T, which was an updated version of the Vizor 35 with a slightly larger gun. And that was called the Panzer 38T F, which had thicker armor. But again, besides the point. And then Poland had this thing called the 7TP, which was a version of the Vickers 6 ton, but basically they have better weaponry than the Germans do, provided they got industrial support um, or they were able to get their economy on a war footing. Does that actually translate into, a, into gains for them? You know, do they actually take their superior weaponry and leverage that? I think it would change it for a little while, but then they'd adapt most the Germans would yeah but that's the thing right is if the Germans with the power of those militaries in 1936 the German military is not at all what it was in 1939 in 1936 Germany straight up would not have been been able to even invade France they were Mm. able to take Austria because Austria wanted to be part of Germany Mm. Like Austrians are 
thing is, there's no real difference between a German and an Austrian. They're ethnically the same people. Okay. So Austria has basically always wanted to be part of Germany, but the rest of Europe has kept going, no. That seems a bit unfair. They should be allowed to be whatever country they want to be. Yeah. Um, have you not heard the different... Okay, well, we're, we're running out of time because we have a hard endpoint at seven. So we can talk more about this on the email at after seven. But anyways, so then the next question that I have is Finland. Ryland, you know about the Winter War, right? Not, not really. Um... Okay, then we can skip that one because I'm not going to waste time explaining the Winter War. Next question. Does the fighting uh, pull France into the war? Um, hmm. I would think maybe. I, I think sh- maybe. It, it depends on what happens. Okay, next question. Will Germany and the USSR wait to invade one another or will they do it half-cocked? Because thing is, have you heard of the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact? This, this is a thing mm-hmm. it takes like two seconds to explain. Mm-hmm. You've heard of it? No, I have not. I, I, I was okay. So the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact was Germany and the Soviet Union both wanted to take over Poland, right? Mm-hmm. They both wanted to take over Poland at the exact same time. So Vladimir Molotov goes to Ribbentrop, the Germany's foreign secretary, secretary, and goes, "Hey, you don't fight us for five years. We won't fight you for five years. We can both take over half of Poland, and it'll all be good." We can use those five years. We'll build up our own militaries. And then after those five years, all bets are off. Okay. And Germany was like, okay. Basically, um, the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact is the whole reason why they seized Poland. Um, yeah. And so they, they don't have time to build up their military. So what I'm saying. Okay. Um, the Soviet Union, just in terms of quality of weaponry and a volume of weaponry, would crush the German military in 1936. Yeah, I was I was thinking that because Germans more out, like how Germany's doing right now, I don't think they would join in. I don't think they would fight. Germany? Because at this time they were kind of in the dumps right now. In 1936? No, they were like on top of the world in 1936. Oh, wait, yeah, I was thinking of a different time period. No, that would be that would be like 1926. But even then, if you're like in Berlin or the major cities during the Weimar Republic, it's a pretty chill place. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so, though, there is a very good way to deal with, you know, them having bad morale. We're not doing it. That's. You know, you know what he wants to do, don't you, Ryland? Not really. Aryan mysticism. Yeah. Uh, Germans uh, basically, there were a bunch of elements in the Nazi Party who wanted like old reconstructed Viking religion, which doesn't make sense because the Aryans are completely different than Vikings, and also reconstructed Germanic religion, which was basically also just reconstructed Viking religion. It was complicated. It's really just insane and amazing. And come on. Whose idea was that? Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, no. I don't, 
I think, I think they it, would. Because, like, the big thing is it, it sort of, once we bring that in, it itself, if we treat it purely as this is a thing that's happening might not break tone, but it, it, it just invites it to break tone so easily. How? So, um, how's it untoned, you know? It, it's, We've already gone over this, Sam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they'd be, they'd be horrifying, you know, they'd be horrifying people that you would never want it, to be captured by. Yes, but it also makes no historical sense, given that the guy who was kind of in charge of the military of the German people was super against it. Yet, at the same time, one of his most, you know, his most loyal, you know, soldiers were also uh, for it. The SS wasn't directly loyal to Hitler through a lot of the war, especially now in the early stages of the war. Uh, well, they were still a good part of the mill. They were still a large part, or right? Aside well, from, because they at least worked with the rest of the military. They did, and okay, I should explain this. Towards the beginning of the war, they were supposed to be like Hitler's bodyguards. And then yeah. they basically just got turned into general elite troops and weren't under his direct command anymore up until the very end of the war when they became under his direct command again. Well, I'm just saying, at least, you know, the and SS... it was during the time where he didn't have any real control over them that they started getting into that mysticism stuff, and then the moment where they got back under his control, it was like, you gotta stop that. They still um, had their castle and still did their ring stuff up to the end of the war. Again, those were elements within it, not the whole of the nation, because the whole of Germany during World War II was still Protestant. Um, but uh, to answer your question, I think Russia wouldn't fight because usually they'd so oh. most of the time they honor their agreements. Most of the time, the agreement. The Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact out signed in 1939, and this in this universe it probably would never even get signed. Okay. I don't okay, know, then. but guys, it's it's 6.53, so I'm going to call this right here. Thank oh, you all for listening to this weird episode of Brigadier. We know it's probably not yep. what you wanted, but it was kind of the only thing that we could push out because one of our players is not going to be here over the long weekend. So and, uh, anyways, yeah, this... we're going to talk more in the email pretty much immediately following this. And we'll get back to you next week, possibly beginning an alt history campaign. Thank you so much. Yeah. And hey, uh... goodbye. Yeah. Hey, if you want to have us go down the Nazi necro priests, like do whatever no, you close it, close like, it, close comment. It